0: Turn in your Bibles to the third chapter, the book of Jonah, as we continue our study through the Word. So you will remember that Jonah was a prophet, uh, and he was called by the Lord to arise. He was the son of uh, Amittai, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness had come up from before me. And so you will remember how Nineveh now was the capital of Assyria. And we'll have the first slide now. (laughs) There we go. And so Nineveh now uh, is the capital of Assyria. And Tarshish is over in Spain. And so Jonah is told to go to the capital of Assyria and to call them to repentance. Now, Jonah hates the Assyrians. The Assyrians are a cruel people. They have been terrorizing and taking into captivity some of the northern uh, ten tribes and And in the towns and villages, they've made raids before, and the Assyrians are continuing to grow. And so Jonah does not want to go and preach this message against the Ninevites because he believes that they're going to repent, and Jonah does not want them to repent. And so he is a reluctant prophet. Rather than going to Nineveh, where God calls him to, he gets onto a boat there in Joppa, and he heads uh, over towards Tarshish. And you will remember that there was a tempest that arose now, and the, all of the mariners, they were fearful for their lives so this was a severe storm now and you will remember that that they asked everybody to call upon their gods uh, that they might be spared and and so everybody was calling on their gods and remember that Jonah was in the lowest part of the ship and he was asleep and you'll remember that the captain comes to him and, you know, says, what are you doing sleeping? You know, call upon your God and maybe it is that, you know, that your God will spare us. And and so the men draw lots now to determine, you know, who is the cause of this? And and as the lot is drawn, it falls upon Jonah and, and they ask him, Jonah, you know, what do you do? Where do you come from? And. You know, and what have you done, and so you know Jonah tells them that you know he is a Hebrew that he is a prophet, that he is disobeying God, and that the reason that this storm is upon you is is my fault and, and they ask him what what shall we do then to 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 calm your God down in his anger and uh, that he would be you know spare our lives and and Jonah says you have to throw me over the overboard if you throw me overboard then you will be spared and and so they row <laughs> they, they they get their oars out they don't want to throw Jonah in and you know and, and they row but it's to no avail the tempest becomes even worse because it's a divine judgment and, and so finally they they ask God to forgive them for throwing this man over the ship into the you know into the ocean but as soon as they do instantly the water is calm and Jonah is now in the water and you'll remember that it tells us that God had prepared a great fish and the great fish came and it and it swallowed Jonah And so there's speculation, you know, about this great fish. Is it a a fish that we know? Is it a mammal? Is it a giant whale? Was Jonah swallowed by a whale? Was he swallowed by a sea monster? Was it a cousin of Loch Ness? You know, I mean, what what swallowed Jonah, you know? And and here's what we know. Whatever God prepared swallowed him. That's what we know. Could it have been a, a, a whale? It could have been a whale. But it says that he prepared uh, this fish for Jonah. And so Jonah now is, you know, is swallowed into this fish. And, and we saw that, you know, as, as Jonah is there in the belly of the great fish, you know, commonly referred to as a whale, but doesn't say whale. And, but they're there inside of the whale we see that that jonah now turns his his rebellious heart back towards god we see that he cries out and and it says, Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, and you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea. And, and so I said that I've been cast out of your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And and so we see this, you know, this prayer of repentance there in the in the belly of the great fish. And so Jonah says, you know, that I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, and I will pay what I have vowed salvation or deliverance uh, is of the Lord. And so it says that the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. It is interesting to me because, you know, the question with regards to this fish that swallows this prepared fish, this prepared instrument that swallows Jonah. And Jonah is, Jonah is in the belly of this great fish for, for three days. And then it it spits Jonah out again. And now Jonah finds himself on the seashore. And, and this is where we are going to pick it up. But I also want you to know that we have Jesus that validated this story, that Jesus used the story of Jonah to tell them that an adulterous and wicked generation seeks after a sign, but no sign are you going to have except for the sign of Jonah the prophet, because as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so also... Will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth? And so we see that the sign of Jonah being in this great fish is the the sign of the resurrection of Jesus going into the grave and then coming back out. And so one of the things that I was reading, and I thought that it was very interesting, was that we always tend to think, at least I have, you know, always tend to think of Jonah being alive for those three days in the belly of the great fish. But it never tells us that Jonah was alive. It could have been that Jonah died inside of that fish, and that then God resurrected Jonah at the end of three days, and now he is spit out onto the uh, onto the shore. You know he says out of the belly of Sheol I have cried out, he says that the water surrounded my even to my soul, and the deep enclosed around me, that I went down to the moorings of the mountains, and the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. And so it is very interesting to give that consideration to the fact that Jonah does not spend three days alive, but that he is resurrected and now spit out onto the shore here. And this is where we pick it up in this third chapter. Chapter now, it says in verse one of chapter three. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, uh, saying to him, "Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you." And so here we see the amazing love of God towards uh, you know rebellious people when when we rebel. Here we see that Jonah, this prophet of God, come. Completely does the opposite of what God had called him to do. Couldn't couldn't do more of the opposite. Uh, You know, God tells him to, you know, go to the west and he, you know, or go to the east and he heads west. And and yet we see the way in which God's grace uh, and, you know, and, and his mercy here. Though Jonah did everything that he could after Jonah repents, we see that God now calls them again he says arise and it is interesting because when we stumble the way that we see God uses somebody even after you stumble to go ahead and to stand up and you know and let's try this all over again We see that he brings them back to the starting point. What was the starting point? He was on the shore (laughs) of the sea. And this time, instead of getting into a ship in Joppa and heading in the wrong direction, now we see obedience. We see that in his repentance, he had said, I will pay my vows, God. And it is most probable that part of that vow was that I will obey you. I will now go to Nineveh, the very thing that he was resisting. He is now willing to subordinate to the will of God. And so go to Nineveh, that great city. Let's have the second slide. And so here we are going to see that that Jonah is now going to come to this this incredible city, you know, of Nineveh. The the walls of Nineveh itself, it had outer walls and and this around its outer territory, and then it had its inner wall. In the inner wall that protected its city, they say that they were 100 feet tall and 50 feet wide. Can, Can you imagine walking up to walls that surrounded the city, 100 feet tall and 50 feet thick? That's how thick they were. And so to be able to try and enter in, it was just considered impregnable, just absolutely impossible to be able to, to take this city down. sat in the Tigris River, and the water flowed through the city, so they had a water source into the city with these incredible towers and and all. And so we see that now... Finally, Jonah is going to make that journey 500 miles there from Samaria, from Israel. And and it says in verse 3 that Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And so, you know, last time we see when he was first called, he is told to to go down to Nineveh and to cry out against it for their wickedness had come up before me. And, And Jonah didn't want to do that. In his own flesh, he rebelled against God. So now the second time that God sends him, we see that he doesn't tell him what to say. He just simply gives him step by step, just Go to Nineveh, and this time tell them what I put into your mouth. Tell them what I am going to tell you. And so we see that there is that first step of obedience. So oftentimes, God never tells us completely what he's going to do, that he just has us to take the next step. And then when we get to that step, he gives us the next step and the next step. And, and so here we see that, that God now kind of you know, condescends to the level of Jonah who is struggling in his obedience. And, and so God takes the bar down rather than jumping to here. Just take a half a step now. And we see the way in which he met him, and and so now he makes that five hundred and fifty you know mile journey, and he, he comes to He comes to this beautiful city that was behind me. And so so now we see that that he comes to this incredible city, makes this long journey, and and now he is told just simply to preach to it the message that I tell you instead of crying out against Nineveh. uh, And so uh, here we see that now, just step by step, uh, he is going to, to lead us. And so he goes to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord, and it was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. In other words, the city itself and then the the communities that were around it and then with its outer wall, that if you were to walk all the way around it, it would take you three days' journey to walk all the way around. This is how large the metropolis now uh, was of this great city. And so, verse 4, and Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. And then he cried out and said, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And so he heads into the, the city. God now has given the prophet the, uh, the words to speak Complete destruction is going to come upon Nineveh, and it's going to happen at the end of 40 days. It's interesting because the number 40 in scriptures is a a number of judgment uh, or a number of trial. We see that the people of Israel, the children of Israel, they wandered in the wilderness for how long? 40 years. We see also Noah, that it rained for how long? 40 days it rained there, and then Jesus, when he went up into the wilderness, he went up into the wilderness for 40 days. And so again, we see the 40, the 40, the 40, this, this number in Scripture that really speaks about a time of, uh, of testing and and trial. And so here we see that now Jonah comes and he declares to the people uh, that they have 40 days, and then God uh, is going to judge them. Now, it's interesting here because the response now, here is this prosperous city, and they are continuing to expand militarily. They are growing in their dominance across the world, and suddenly Jonah shows up, You know, and he starts to preach this message that God is going to bring judgment upon this city, you know, in 40 days. And and it says now that the people of Nineveh, they believed God. Now, it's interesting because if Jonah had been inside of the belly of a great fish that God had prepared, by the end of three days with the acids in the stomach of the fish and, uh, and all, Jonah's skin would have most likely been completely bleached out. He would have been hairless. Uh, his eyebrows uh, would have been gone. You know, he would have been a scary-looking figure now that is walking around the city telling them that, you know, that God is going to bring judgment upon. So suddenly they hear this. And it says now that the people of Nineveh believe. But what is interesting is that this happens around the year 759 BC. Now, six years earlier than that, in 765, a giant plague had swept uh, through Assyria. Two years uh, later, in 763, there is a total eclipse of the sun that happens. And then also in the same year that Jonah shows up again, there is another plague. And all of these things were interpreted uh, as divine anger against the the Ninevites. And so they they have these these occurrences that happen, and then suddenly they have this hairless man showing up, walking around saying that God is going to destroy your empire in 40 days and you know what the people go we believe you know we we believe this message now you know is from god and so they proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them and so they they proclaimed a fast and they put on sackcloth these are outward symbols uh, now of an inward repentance or a, 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 an inward contrition. They fasted and, and put on sackcloth It says from the greatest to the least of them. And so people from every single social strata, they now humbled themselves. They hoped that God might turn from his anger against them and spare them. And so they, they took the message of Jonah absolutely seriously and they responded then wholeheartedly and so here we see that Jonah now comes and, and he starts to, to preach and the people are responding. They are responding to the way that every preacher would love to see his message responded to. They wholeheartedly, they embraced it. It brought them to a place of repentance. And, and it says, then the word came to the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And so now we see it wasn't just all of the people, but even now all the way to the king himself, uh, humbles uh, himself uh, at the preaching now of Jonah. It says, and the king took action. It says, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying... <coughs> Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, and do not let them eat or drink water. And so this is just an absolute, complete fast that the king calls for there throughout the nation. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. And who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? And so here the the king calls for this fast. He says, Let every man, look at, and beast be covered with sackcloth. So sackcloth is this coarse cloth. It's normally made of, you know, goat's hair, probably the closest thing that, you know, I can think of is is burlap, you know. Imagine putting on a burlap shirt and, Pants, you know, and you're going to wear that. And, you know, and so this is now everybody. And, and here the king goes, everybody and your animals. Put them in burlap also, <laughs> you know. And so, you know, here we see that they're taking it seriously. They, they are taking it as serious as, as you possibly can. Let every single one of them, not just do an outward motion of it, not just wear sackcloth and ashes, but most importantly... Let everyone turn from his evil way. Turn from his evil way. He called them to examine their own hands. What iniquity is in your hand? What is it that you need to turn away from? He says, the evil and, and the violence. And so here, every person was to examine their own heart. And And I think that that is, you know, such a great response a response for all of us as well for every single one of us to examine is is there anything in our hands that that shouldn't be in our hands is there anything that is displeasing unto God here they are in threat of divine judgment of being completely destroyed and so they are, you know out of fear and self-preservation they are examining their hearts but we would examine our hearts out of love and devotion, not out of fear of destruction. Is there anything that's in our hands, anything that's in our lives that, that is not pleasing unto the Lord and, and would that we would turn away from it as well, that we would seek to be as pleasing to the Lord as, as they were in their desperation of self-preservation May we be that desperate in devotion for our Lord and our king as well. Who can tell if God will turn and and relent? In their repentance, they they were hoping for mercy. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Notice that, that the king recognizes that they deserve it. We need to turn from our evil ways. We need to turn from our violence. He doesn't mitigate it. He doesn't excuse it. He doesn't try and make it small and acceptable. But instead, as they repent, they're calling upon the mercy of God, upon that nature of God, where he will, in his kindness, belong suffering towards them, and that he might relent, that these people might not perish. And it says in verse 10, and then God saw their works. God saw them. God saw their works, which is the outward manifestation, but more importantly, what did God see? God saw their heart. God sees our hearts. God sees your heart. God sees my heart. We are an open book before And it says that he saw their works and that they had turned from their evil way. And so there was that uh, repentance. We see that repentance describes the, the process of turning to God. It's not just turning away from evil, but it is the turning towards God that causes us to turn our back on evil. And it is the same way that when you turn and face towards sin, you also turn your back to God. And so there is a, a turning. In which direction are you facing? In which direction are you heading? What is it that's alluring you? We're either being attracted to the things of the world, to the things of the flesh, to our carnality and to sin, or we are being drawn by the grace and the love and the mercy of God, to step away from the things of this world and to come closer to God. The closer we get to God, the less the pull of the world. The closer we get to the world, the stronger the pull is from the world. And so here the people that had been violent, they had been wicked, and they were violently wicked. Amongst all the peoples, they may be representative of the most wicked, violent people that have ever been. And so they turned from it. They turned toward God. And God saw that turning. He saw the turning of the heart. And so they turned from their evil way. And it says, And God relented from the disaster. That he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it remember that god always uses the least amount of force necessary to turn us away from sin and toward him and so he sent a prophet that warned them and and that was enough for them to turn and so he relented now of the judgment we see that he relented from the disaster. Repentance appeals to God's mercy, not his justice. When you repent, you're appealing to the mercy of God, not to the justice of God. The justice of God says we're going to get what we deserve. The mercy of God says spare us from what we do deserve. And so in their repentance, they cried upon the mercy of God and we see that God then relented from the disaster. And he didn't destroy him. In chapter 4, we see in verse 1, Jonah's response now to the, to the grace of God. It says, but it displeased Jonah, how much? Exceedingly. <laughs> and it not only did it displease him, it says, and he became angry. And so Jonah now, he is upset. You know, usually a prophet is is pleased when, when the people respond to the message that you have given them from God, but here Jonah wasn't. He has the most successful ministry and he's crushed by their responding to God. There's something now about their response towards God that displeases Jonah, and so much so that he becomes angry. And so he prayed to the Lord. <laughs> I love this prayer. And he said, Ah, Lord, was not this not what I said when I was still in my country? Was this not what I said? Isn't this what I was afraid of? Wasn't I, I was afraid of going? and preaching and them repenting so that you don't destroy them. This is exactly what I didn't want to happen. (laughs) This is why I didn't go in the first place. This is why I head in the opposite direction. He says, therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish. He doesn't deny it. (laughs) He reminds me here of James and John, you know, when, when they're offended with the Samaritans. And he says, you know, God, should we call down fire, Lord, from heaven and just like wipe them out? just look at they offended us just toast them you know that's what that's what jonah wanted the Assyrians had caused so much harm to the israelites so much fear so much destruction of life and, and and now it's personal and so these Assyrians now, they are the absolute enemy of God's people. And and as a prophet, he's being sent to the enemy of the nation. And, and now, you know, the, the in 40 days, you're going to be destroyed. In 39 days, you're going to be destroyed. In 28 days, they're going to be destroyed you know and jonah's like you know doing the countdown you know here of the of the 40 days coming you know and, you know and now all of a sudden they start you know repenting and and he's like oh no <laughs> you know and the and the clock's winding down and they're repenting and you know and jonah's waiting to see now whether or not you know they've repented enough You know, or whether God's still gonna toast them, you know. And so, you know, here is Jonah, and now, you know, it says that he relents from the disaster. So he's upset. I know, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God. You're slow to anger, you're abundant in loving kindness. You're one who relents from doing harm. I knew you weren't going to do it. (laughs) You're too kind. You're too loving. You're too merciful. That's why I'm mad at you. (laughs) You're too loving. You're too kind. You're too merciful. You won't destroy them. And he's mad about that the same God that didn't destroy his rebellious prophet who ran the opposite direction and did the exact opposite of what he was being called to do, that same loving kindness, that same mercy, that same long-suffering God, you know, when, when he's the recipient of that, he's got no problem with that. <laughs> but now when that same love and kindness and mercy is, is shown towards an adversary, He's upset with God. And so we see the selfishness now of of Jonah coming forth. We see that Jonah's angry because God had granted repentance to the Ninevites. And so, he says, I know. I know that you are dot, dot, dot. How would you fill that in? What would you say to somebody about God? I know that my God is what? Here we see that he says long-suffering, merciful, gracious, abundant in loving kindness, slow to anger. And this has been what he has experienced in his own life with God. What have you experienced in your own life toward God? Therefore, now, verse 3, O oh Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. <laughs> It, we we see here that that the now you know he the, he's so upset that the that the Ninevites are allowed to live. He's like, I can't bear this. Just kill me so that I don't have to. I don't have to see. You know that the now earlier you know he had prayed to live. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and He answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. In verse 4, and then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, I see that you're hurting. I see that you're struggling with this. God sees our heart. He knows when we're emotionally overflowing our banks. And he sees that Jonah's angry. Now, the Bible says be angry and don't what? Be angry and don't sin. So anger is that emotion. And so, you know, here we see that God is coming and ministering to him, a- asking him a question. I know that you're angry. Let me ask you a question. Is it a righteous anger? Is, is, is it an anger that has a, a, a right cause behind it? Is it fair for you to be angry? And so he, he causes Jonah to have to reflect uh, on that emotion. Emotions are powerful in our lives. They're real, but they're not necessarily trustworthy. And they're not necessarily based in righteousness. And so he says, you know, I see that you're angry. I see that you're upset. But come, let us reason together. Uh, is your anger now righteous? Is, there, is it right? for you to be angry. And so, Jonah doesn't answer that question. Verse 5. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. And there he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city he's still hoping in 40 days that God's going to change his mind again and that this time he's going to destroy it. So I've done it. I've gone and I've, I, I've sent the message and I'm going to sit here and see what happens. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have front row seats here. I'm going to get comfortable. I got my lounger here i got some shade that i have built i'm gonna you know when this thing blows up i'm gonna be right here in the front to see what would and then you know and notice this he doesn't wait in the city in case god destroys the city he goes outside of the city now to watch what is going to happen to this in the city and the lord it says prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. So God does another miracle. He makes this plant like, grow like Jack and the beanstalk. Like, you know, I mean, here's Jonah. He makes this little shelter so that he can watch the city, which he hopes is going to be destroyed. But his shelter isn't very good. So God says, Let me help you with some shade here. And so, you know, God makes this plant to supernaturally just grow. Just another one of those provisions. We see the storm was stilled, we see the fish was prepared. We see that this, you know, plant growth up. We see all of the ways in which God is working miraculously through, you know, in Jonah in this circumstance. And so, you know, so this plant grows up, and and there's great shade that's added to his, you know, hut that he has built here for himself. And look at, and so Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Thank you, God, for making me more comfortable. While I'm waiting for you to destroy the Assyrians, <laughs> you know. So he's very polite about this uh, here, and you know, and he's glad for his own comfort, right? But he's not concerned with the Ninevites' comfort. He's glad for God's provision of grace to him, but he doesn't want grace towards the Ninevites. And so here we see that. You know, he's, he's praying, you know, like David's prayer. Lord, you know, break the teeth of my enemies, you know, smite them, God. And, and so Jonah's waiting, and it says, verse 7, But as morning dawned, the next day God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. So Jack and the beans, of so the beanstalk now falls over dead the next day. And this worm now has destroyed it, and it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement east wind. And then the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. So, you know, now here he's becoming uncomfortable. And and, and now he is wishing, you know, death for himself. And and verse 9, and then God said to Jonah a second time, is it right for you to be angry? This time about the plant. And he said, it it is right for me to be angry even to death. We we see here that that, that God is really challenging him to look now at at what he is concerned uh, over. He's concerned over the destruction of the plant, but, but he's not concerned, you know, with the well-being of the Ninevites. In verse 10, but the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. God wanted Jonah to see that he didn't have a right to be angry. Because God hadn't given, Jonah hadn't given life to the plant and Jonah hadn't given life to the Ninevites. He says, and should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? And so we see here that, you know, that, that Jonah's affections, that, that they're off kilter he cares more about a plant than he does for human souls and and we see here that you know that god is declaring to him this population of people that they don't know right from left they don't know right from wrong and we see here that you know that that the Lord is gracious towards all nations. And he is gracious towards Gentiles as as well as the Israelites. We see that with Jonah, that he demonstrates his sovereignty. We see that, you know, in Jonah, that he punishes rebellion. And he stands against that rebellion. God wants us to obey him. He wants us uh, now to have a a heart that is towards the things that he has a heart towards. And and so we are to love the sinner, but hate the sin. Here we see that in Jonah, he couldn't separate sinner from sin. He just saw the sinner and uh, that person now. He had no compassion upon them because... Their sin was directed towards them. And so he wasn't capable, he wasn't able to love his enemy. You'll see how God calls us now to love even our enemy. And why does God call us to love our enemy? Why does God call us to, to, to love someone that, that is wicked, that opposes god you know why aren't we allowed to to hate that person and the answer is because he was made in the image of likeness of god and guess what he was made by god and so that's god's child and so god says you're not allowed to hate any of my children he says are some of them disobeying yes are some of them behaving very badly yes are some of them behaving very 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 badly yes but that's my problem not your problem your job is to go love everybody and I'm the one that will now take care of the discipline and so we see that in our lives, the challenge is the ability to continue to broaden our heart to be able to love wider and wider and wider. Here we see that Jonah is such a lesson in our own hearts, in our own lives, about our capacity to love only within a narrow lane of what's comfortable for us, of who is behaving a way in which we think is appropriate and that we can sometimes excuse ourselves to not have to love others, but we get critical and we get judgmental towards them when God is not asking us to do that. We have to resist that. Our flesh wants to do that. That is the natural response of the carnal heart but we see that God loves everybody. And so we are called to love what God loves. And since God loves everybody, we are called to love everybody. Let's move into our communion service now. I want to invite the elements to come and to be passed out to everybody. And and I love coming to the communion table. A time to... Uh, to reflect, we see that the king of Assyria, you know, says, let's turn from evil and let us let go of the violence that is in our hands. And, And so that time of turning away and turning towards communion is that, is that time to evaluate. And I know for me that, that so oftentimes, one of the lenses during communion that I want to look at my life through is that lens of servanthood, of serving others. You'll remember that Jesus, at the last supper, that He was with them. And He said, you know, how much I have desired, I've longed to be able to eat this meal with you. And, and you'll remember that that whole issue of servanthood, The disciples had been with them for three years. Three years they had been moving about with Jesus, eating meals with Him and and, and ministering. And, And yet we see that as they come into that Last Supper, we see what they were arguing amongst themselves about was who's going to be the greatest. Who's gonna to be tops? Who's gonna to be first? Who's gonna be the chief? Who's gonna have the, the most responsibility? Who's gonna be the most important? Who's going to get the largest house, the biggest territory, the, you know, to continue? And, and they were evaluating and competing with one another in the, in the carnal way in which the world does. And Jesus is like, have I been with you this long? And he goes and he takes off his robe. And he takes the basin of water and he goes and he washes all of the disciples' feet. I've set an example for you. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve And now he invites us to follow. And, you know, in that communion time, the the time of holding those elements and asking, Lord, how am I doing in in that area? Am I me first or am I others first? Crucify the flesh. Pick up your cross. Follow after me. And I wonder if I had been one of those disciples, would I have been right in the middle of the argument with everybody else? And the Spirit of God continues to work in our hearts and and in our lives. Lord, how are we doing? How am I doing? How's my relationship with you? How is my servanthood with others? How well am I doing at loving you? and loving others, when Jesus reduced everything down to those two simple commands, I think that that's an easy way to evaluate ourselves. Lord, how are we doing? And then as I grow this way, am I able to be stretched and to grow this way? And that's that, that growth as a spiritual man. That's that growth as a, as a spiritual woman. It's a work of God We can't do that, but we can ask. We can align our hearts. We know that's what God's will is for our our life. And so communion table is that time to thank Him, to adore Him, to worship Him, to check in, to to evaluate, to say this October, how am I going to run my race this month? What are the challenges? What are the obstacles that are coming this month? What are the opportunities to love people this month? What would you have me to do? The next communion table, Lord, when, when we sit back down again, where would you have me to be? In what areas can I grow in that you want me to focus on? And so it is that beautiful time to just sit at his feet, just recline to press into him and to just listen. Let's just listen to whatever the Lord would speak to you right now. Mm, Lord, I want to sit at your feet. I want to drink from the cup that's in your hand, I wanna lean back upon your breast. Feel your love emanating over my life. You love us so much. You love me so much. Your love is overwhelming. Thank you for your love. You are merciful. You are long suffering. You are filled with grace. Thank you. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. He blessed and broke it gave it to the disciples and said take eat this is my body let's partake of the body of Christ and then he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you that I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's partake of the cup. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much Lord, You are our King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. And You are my Savior. You are our Savior and our King. Jesus, thank You for loving us so much. Thank You for Your willingness to go to the cross. Thank You for Your willingness to send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, to strengthen us and to help us. And so, Lord... Bless us, help us every step of the way until you come for us or we come to you. Father, may we live lives as a sweet-smelling aroma unto you. And all glory and honor be to Jesus Christ and all God's people said amen in amen. amen.